This is Medicine on the Frontier, a unique expeditions podcast hosted by Luke Woodall-Gillard and Matt Hans. Well, this is it. We are on the air. Episode zero, the pilot of Medicine on the Frontier, a unique expeditions podcast. I am your host, Luke Woodall-Gillard. I'm an expedition medic and photojournalist, and I'm so excited to have you join us on this journey as we talk to adventurers who push the limits of human fortitude around our world. I'm joined by my co-host, friend and mentor, Matt Howes, who is the co-founder of Unique Expeditions. Matt, how are you doing today? Really good, buddy. What's coming up on today's episode? Matt, it's only fitting that we kick off the podcast with the other founder of Unique Expeditions, Dr. Joshua Allison, otherwise known as the Exped Medic on Instagram, who has worked all over the world in some of the most beautiful and remote parts of our planet. So without further ado, let's kick off the series. Medic! Hey Josh, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, buddy? Thank you, I'm doing amazingly. And it's, you know, it's, it's great to have you here for episode zero. We finally got this podcast off the ground. Matt and I have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, getting it up, getting interviews lined up, doing the editing. That's mainly been me. Uh, but, you know, we're finally here now. So that's absolutely <laughs> not been me. <laughs> but we're here. It's a joint effort. It's a team effort. Uh, but it's great to have you here for this first episode, this pilot of season one of the Medicine on the Frontier podcast. And I think the best way to, to start is to talk about how you two met, because you come from two very different worlds. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you want to start us here. How, like, how did you guys meet? I couldn't, I couldn't happily start. So myself and Josh started, I, don't, I have no idea what year it was. It was quite a while ago. Um, but at the time, I was a freelance instructor um, working all over the place. Uh, and... I had a gig where I used to do um, freelance kind of instructional work for wilderness, WMT, wilderness medical training. Um, and we had a, a collab with uh, with some friends of ours um, who at the time were called Wood Smoke, they're now called Wild Human, a super nice um, bushcraft company in the north of England, uh, up in the Lake District. Uh, Josh came on as a client. Um, and we just kind of, he was, I think, I could be wrong, but Josh... I think had qualified quite a bit before a lot of the other students on the course. He was a little bit more adult. Um, and he, he kind of, he kind of dropped himself into the fold of instructors. Uh, and gave up a lot of his free time and used to come out and basically just annoy us in the woods with his uh, upper class whims. Um, and then, yeah, we, we just, I'm we not just, taking we, that. We got to come back to that. Oh. Okay. We can, we can, we can, we can snoo back around to that afterwards, but I'll just finish the, the main intro. Um, yeah, and then I moved to I moved to Norway in the middle of a midlife crisis, uh, and we decided because at the time I was running a, a company called UK Hammocks. We had some incredible expeditions all over the world. Um, Josh came out and worked with me for a few. He worked as uh, my expert doc uh, in the jungle, and I think it was somewhere else. Uh, and we put our heads together and realised that actually there was something missing, uh, and that was basically that collaboration between really good wilderness medicine and equally really good wilderness skills training. And bring those together. So that was really the the foundations of UE. But maybe Josh has got a completely different story. So yeah, I Josh, will, what's uh, the yeah. truth? Tell yeah, me the truth. Totally more differently. <laughs> I need to click in a pen top. <laughs> yeah. Oh, am I? Can you hear that? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I needed. I, I mean, 
I remember meeting you on that course, which um, is your classic. Uh, you're a junior doctor. Someone gives you a study budget and you do not want to spend it on something boring and dull. Um, so I spent my study budget going uh, on. I, I must have been on every single wilderness medical training course by the time I got to that one and was already doing little bits of kind of humanitarian medicine and such. Um, yeah, and then I came across this guy who promised me that he could make me a hammer foot fit, uh, a six foot six body um, and that would stand up for expedition uh, in the jungle, and he did. <laughs> so that's what I remember as the start of the, uh, the collaboration. But there's a lot of bits in the middle. Um, Matt used to say, hey, can you come along? Can you be my minion on my many jungle expeditions as well as the, uh, the medic? Um, and would then just create suffering for myself and all of the clients. <laughs> there would be many, many evacuations. Um, and we would always do one day on every expedition. We'd do one day where I took them uh, instead of learning survival skills, because a lot of Matt's clients in, that, in those days were kind of ex-military um, or some, some kind of current military. Uh, and we did one day of wilderness medicine, and we usually did a beastly evacuation through the jungle, you know, through the ravines, through the rivers, over hills. Um, and throughout all of that, people loved it the most. So I was badgering him for years where we used to do non-medical expeditions to say, look, uh, there is no one that does it with this level of reality, this level of like actual environmental training at the same time everyone else is in a, a field in the UK or, or um, you know, or even a classroom a lot of the times, which is not where you need to be. You need to be in the field. And this, these are real. This is the real thing. Uh, and after many years, I remember we sat, we were in Malaysia, Matt. Do you remember we had a... Yeah, we were. We were sitting on the beach looking at the green lights drinking Tiger beer. I remember it. I see it, it vividly. pretty special. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd be badgering him for years to say, look, no one could, can match this for actual outdoor like, experience, in the field experience, plus medical teaching. Um, and he said, yep, let's do it. And that's where, where it all started. Well, the maybe was that maybe that was where the midlife crisis started. <laughs> Josh that came could into have been your life, and it's all gone. It's all gone yeah. right. Oh, uh, that's the continuum. That's never ending. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just a life crisis. But I'm glad to know that you yourself, Josh, were a minion at one point. It makes me feel slightly better that you know maybe I'll one day get to your pedigree and level. I of think expertise. you know what I think. I think everybody, every single person who does this has always started as a minion because you can't Absolutely, just roll into yeah. this and, and be be the boss. It doesn't work that way because you literally have to learn all the shit jobs from the bottom up, um, which gives you a really good appreciation, especially when it comes to expedition planning, because if you've never done those shit jobs, you've got absolutely no idea how long they take um, or how labor intensive they are. So, uh, so it's a really good place to start. I, I encourage everybody to start. The word minion. I think we need to we've been talking. We've always had minions. We should definitely move towards the word apprentice because minion. I'm not I mean, sure. It's a bit derogatory. I was happy being a minion, but I think I think if you're going to do this kind of work, you've also. I mean, part one of the screening is: Are you in acceptance of the term minion? Because um, if you're not. <laughs> The, the rest of it only gets worse. It gets no better at this level. It's uh, you're absolutely it's, it's... right. You need to have a very thick skin, um, and you need to be very hard. It needs to be very hard to offend you. You need to be able to put up with a lot of discomfort uh, of all kinds, you know, emotional and physical, uh, to be good at this job. Absolutely. Uh, and would you say, Josh, that I'm a good minion? Careful now. 
But say again. Sorry. We, say that again. You, you heard me. Am I a good minion? Tell me the truth. <laughs> you're you're a, a great minion. You have got that. In fact, that that attitude that we just said, it is attitude. You have got that in abundance. Um, the ability uh, is is progressing, <laughs> but you have absolutely got all of the attitude, the positive attitudes. I've seen you uh, absolutely stark naked and soaking wet in the jungle, smiling. Hold on, uh, clarify, clarify, clarify. <laughs> We're in the in the dark with your head torch lighting up the bits we didn't need to see. Yeah, I've seen it. It's called the red light district of the jungle, okay? It's a very special time in any jungle explorer's life, okay? <laughs> don't don't make it sound weird. No, I, I've got to be honest, though. I won't, I won't add what you were doing at the time. Um, no, no, no. Let, let's leave, let's, let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. But I, it, from your... Uh... <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to keep these. This, this is the problem. I go, I go with a course with unique exhibitions, and if Josh is ever there, there will be some story about some stupid thing that I've done. And I deny most of what's happened. Apparently, I crashed a skidoo. That never happened. I simply got it slightly No, you stuck. didn't just crash it. You crashed it. You crashed it worse than anyone else, so that we had to dig it out. No, Matt was there. Matt was there. Matt, did I crash a skidoo on the Arctic trip? We, hold on a minute. Which which incident are we talking about? Because <laughs> what? The, the, Jesus! The, no, but I have to I have to ask because there was a there was a simulated crash that me and Luke did, which he actually managed to genuinely injure himself jumping off the back of the snowmobile. It's called commitment but, to the cause. No. But yeah, that was true commitment. But the, I think there was another where it was stuck, and I, I'm not I don't like being blended in these things. When my name popped up there quite defensively, <laughs> I do not recall. <laughs> That's because actually I remember it. You were you were taking the point, and I was at the back. Um, and this, yeah. is, uh, bearing in mind on on the Arctic uh, wilderness medicine course, we are as far from anywhere as you could be in the middle of the wilderness, um, off piste as such, um, flying around on snowmobiles on frozen lakes. And this wasn't in the middle, you know, of the powder. This was on a well-groomed trail, which was maybe. Twenty foot wide that you couldn't miss, and you on, still on the side to on the on on. I was doing an overtaking procedure, okay, and it just went <laughs> slightly awry. And I blame Jack Wathan, who is not on the podcast, so he can't defend himself. It was all his fault. Um, but no, I think we should talk about it. You know, we're not here. This podcast is not here to sort of be propaganda for unique expeditions. But I think it's worth mentioning what is on offer. Uh, you know, as you said, you guys came up with this idea to to fulfil a void that that was present, and I think you know you guys have done a good job at it. I mean, I've been on your courses; I love them. Uh, but yeah, Josh, you want to tell us a bit about what what's coming up in the in the unique expeditions pipeline? What's coming up now? So we've been working on obviously our Wales course, which is kind of setting the standard nowadays for um, for education in wilderness medicine, at least as a place to start. Uh, uh, so we're looking forward to that. That's coming up in September. At the same time, we've just uh, done one of our UE collabs with Trailmed. I don't know if anyone's heard of Trailmed. Uh, really cool company. Lovely guys that run it. Um, and they they do event medicine, but not just event medicine in the UK, where you do kind of like St John's ambulance kind of stuff. They also do some pretty cool um, adventure races around the world uh, in the Americas and the Caribbean. 
Um, so we have, they've asked us to come along and do their pre-course kind of pre-deployment training and, and also assessment because this is kind of like sounding like parrots, but you know what we just spoke about attitude um, and finding the right people to, to represent you when you're uh, in different parts of the world. So uh, making sure that, you know, the people are pre-screened um, and capable to, to represent Trailmed. So that one's coming up then. What else have we got coming up? What's next? Jungle, probably. We've got the jungle, I think, is the next one that's coming up. So we've got Lankawi uh, running a Borneo as well this year. Yeah, Lankawi, much much easier, more of an introduction to jungle. Uh, three, four nights under in your hammock and, hammock and tarp in dense jungle, getting to grips with it, and then three or four days in the on an uninhabited desert island. Uh, which is much easier because you you get a barbecue at the end of every day but we'll be doing and because you're static and you're not i don't know if anyone's been to the jungle but when you've been to the jungle uh breaking camp and moving every day is not good for teaching because you're spending so much of your time just surviving um so we get a bit at the end of that where we are on a desert island and there's plenty of time to teach um you know survival skills uh, raft building my favorite bit is always watching people super confident when they try to <laughs> try to escape their island and build their raft and they always sink uh, so that's brilliant fun and then yeah we we have a zero success rate right on the escape from the island. <laughs> but a hundred percent survival rate well just about yeah zero percent even barely to get past the break like it's uh it's amazing you know what they say though josh well i don't want to know do i they, it's uh, it's if you can't if 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 you can't tie knots, <laughs> tie knots. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's. Uh, which, uh, have you learned it yet? I, I've learned many knots. Uh, right. To clarify the story, and I'm going to set the record straight. Okay, which is we were in we were in Norway. We we're on the Arctic trip, which is it happens in uh, in March and April, and one of the one of the clients had her snowshoe break and i very kindly used my paracord because i actually brought paracord because i was prepared to to tie her snowshoe back together and she misused it and those knots came untied and i tied uh, lots of them uh, um, uh, hold on a minute, but you, you just said you tied the knots i did so tell you that. you I mean, are taking full responsibility it doesn't matter whether you tied lots well, or just one good okay well, when you it put it like hold, that it's my fault i get it it's my fault i've got better i have I, got better we we we're using the term knots loosely uh, and i meant <laughs> uh because they were <laughs> because they were not not you just wrapped it around lots of times so i mean no, no, it, it was a lot, a lot of overhands you didn't even tie a knot <laughs> Anyway, uh, um, yeah, but, but Josh, you trust me now, you don't you? You're a student and you've learned a lot. I've learned a lot, but Josh trusts me now. Yeah, as far as I can throw you. Well, I, I remember we, Josh and I went climbing a couple of months ago, and Josh was like, You got me, yeah? You got me. And I was belaying him, and he took about maybe two, three handholds up, and then he just dropped full dead weight. I was like, Okay, I, I about trust you now, uh, but we haven't. You haven't trusted me that's, to, that's, to be yeah. you properly. No league climbing yet. That'll be I, the next. I thing. have. No, not not on trads. Not on trad. We'll we'll get there. We'll go. Outside. We'll get there Still, one day. It's good weather in the UK. We'll get some UK trads. Good. But no, I, I think it it's one of those things that, that there's all these courses and like you say, the Wales courses is, is there to give you that foundation to see if you actually just like being wet 
having to get in your tent every day, getting your admin squared away, and then you go on these amazing courses, where whether it's the jungle, and you're doing barbecues on the beaches. We didn't have any barbecues on the beach when we went, Josh. I don't know what was going on there. We were we were just in the middle of nowhere eating you didn't baby bears. Um, no, I didn't do Lankawi. You didn't, oh, do, doing... <laughs> you didn't do the Lankawi course. You, did, you came on a... So, um, Luke came on a recce trip, which we were looking at a new location, which actually was pretty cool, but was very different. It was totally different to other jungles I've been to. So, jungles, if you're on the islands, you don't have to deal with big animals. So, uh, this recce trip was in mainland Malaysia, and that means animals. Uh, and tigers is it is one of the highest densities of tigers in the world that said that's not a huge density uh, and you'd probably be very lucky or you could count yourself lucky if you saw a tiger um but it, they're around and other big cats as well and then the thing that actually we were most worried about which is the elephants uh, in that part of the world because there were so many elephant signs we luckily didn't see one because actually when you're walking around in the jungle uh, you do not want to come across a forest elephant it's it's not something that you want to happen but yeah we went to a totally different part of the world um which is a, a bit more hairy and scary than the Langkawi trip which is definitely well supported very well supported also because you've got you know excellent instructors um that are making sure that you're safe well there, i mean there is always a risk isn't it i guess that's the that's the point to make with any it doesn't matter um there, there becomes there comes a level of, of danger which irrelevant of how great the instructors are that that level of danger will always be apparent and that is really why we all travel on expedition um that's the the, the somewhat type two fun adrenaline rush you get after an expedition is the surviving it you know you do actually have to survive the journey there will be times when you will have to do things that will put you in in danger um and that's the great thing about an expedition is you can mitigate them as, as best as possible and you can have the medical team with you. You can have the best equipment, um, but there's always that risk. And, and that's that's one of the main things I love about going on an expedition is the fact that you're very responsible for yourself. It's not something you can go into without being 100% committed and connected to what you're doing. Because without that, you have a really, really bad expedition. I'm not sure everyone sees it that way <laughs> before they get into the jungle or into the Arctic. But you're, no, I, you I don't think they do. Absolutely right. They think someone else is going to look after them and carry their kit. <laughs> yeah, I think this is it. Yeah, it, and, and it's you know it, it's the way it, it's the way it has to happen. Um, but the jungle is one of those. It, the jungle is a crazy environment to sell. Because it's amazing. Yeah. It's truly incredible, the jungle. I mean, the experiences I've had in the jungle far outweigh anything I've had anywhere else on Earth. However, it does come at a cost. The jungle's really difficult to sell because if you put the highlights down, everything wants to eat you, kill you, <laughs> envenomate you, or poison you of some description, or just give you a really nasty infection. And that's everything from small plants, ants, to all the big scary things as well. You know, it's a, you've got to really want to explore the jungle. But it's so rewarding when you're there. It's uh, it's I a hard balance. I think it's my favorite, my favorite environment. For yeah, sure. it is. Once but it is for that reason, you, I think. Yeah, when you get it sorted, when you if you it's just it's all about that military kind of level drill, isn't it? Just making sure that you do everything the same time, um, same time of day, exactly the same each time, and you don't make any mistakes. And then you meet you reach this kind of zen, where you're you know it sounds kind of wanky to say, but you're one with the jungle. Um, rather than trying to fight it, you're going with it, and it—I I love it. I do love it. 
also it's so outside of most people's comfort zone or, or experience so for example people have been up mountains even if it's you know Scarfell Pike or Snowdon they've seen hills they've seen snow they've seen uh, they might have driven through deserts in parts of the world or you know um, gone on a safari but people haven't seen people haven't been inside the jungle so that when you're watching your your students your your clients whoever it is that you're in the jungle with yours it's almost like their children they're seeing it for the first time they're hearing the noises for the first time they're experiencing it all for the first time so you get to kind of enjoy it again through their excitement so that's i think that is a big part of why i love the jungle and, and is it something that you love yeah. more than the mountains yeah, because unlike matt so matt here guys has refused to ever climb a mountain he lives in a beautiful part of norway where there are lots of beautiful mountains and he refuses but josh you are a mountaineer, an alpinist, if you will. And are you saying that you truly love the jungle more than the mountains? I do, yeah. I mean, no, don't get me wrong, it's all awesome. Um, and yes, I've climbed a lot of mountains and it is beautiful. But oh, if you had to choose one or the other, if you had to choose one place to exist, you'd choose the jungle, right? You go to the mountains and it is, it's amazing, it's fun it's beautiful but you after a while after you know i don't know if anyone's not had a shower for a month uh <laughs> but uh and and you've got blisters on your feet and and you you know you, your whole face is sunburnt and uh, it's really good fun and you come down and it's definitely type two fun but um the jungle is just awesome whilst you're there you'd be sat on a log you know over a stream having a, a jungle shower and you just think wow this place you know this is incredible this i you know, if i could put a little hide there and live there i, I could stay there well even with all the leeches the mosquitoes yeah. the tigers the sun bears the elephants all of that you still would you do it forever uh, i mean maybe maybe you'd have some mosquito nets yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, i think i i think out of all of them the mosquitoes would be the one I'd get rid of. I um, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, they're insane. Yeah, they they they've. It's amazing because sometimes you go and you can we we'll, you know, obviously use similar areas year after year. Um, but sometimes you go and they're horrific, absolutely horrific with mosquitoes. And you can go about the year later, and there's nearly none. Mm. It's Past it's year, so we strange. Had none in Malaysia. Yeah, I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. terrible. Yeah, but leeches, I, I think that's one of those things. You can't call yourself um, a true adventurer until you've pulled, uh, what would you say, 50 to 100 leeches off of your body? Oh, oh easily. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. And some inappropriate places. You know, They found every single crevice that you could think they got into. Um, they do. But you know, they're, they're kind of cool, though. I, we were talking, so when, when Josh and I went out, uh, we went to a place called Ulamuda. And one of the guys that works there called Jaimir, uh, lovely guy, he runs this eco-lodge that's out there. And he was telling us that leeches are, are terribly annoying. Uh, they are painless, though. They sort of you know suck on your blood and then drop off. But what they're doing is, is they're getting uh, PhD students to go into the jungle, get covered in leeches, and they bring them all back. Uh, and put them in a bag. And they're sequencing the DNA from the blood that the leeches have sucked on. Uh, and that's mapping out biodiversity in the jungle, which is quite cool. Um, 
because you can't you don't see like we didn't see any elephants we had one encounter with a possible tiger josh it's the i was either a tiger or a sunburn i was looking back at the the photos of the of the of the paw prints and it definitely looks more like a tiger print than a than a sunbear print but there was josh he was sharpening away a stick trying to protect himself i said what the hell is that gonna do between you <laughs> and a six foot tiger <laughs> i don't know Actually, actually, uh, you just cut down a sapling and you use the, the leafy ends to, to ward it off. And I mean, if that's going to work, come on. I, I think so, I'm going yeah, to I'm I'm run away. <laughs> I think you don't have a chance. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> certainly not going to run because you got to remember, Luke, that only food runs. And, um, Absolutely. I know, but, but, but do you think yeah. do you think six foot, because Josh, how, how tall are you? Six foot 25? <laughs> Six, you six, six. <laughs> six six you know a six six waving a stick i think is enough of a distraction that i can get away from said tiger <laughs> i think you could get away yeah but how about me the ultimate sacrifice josh it's okay i'll i'll, I'll live on in your honor <laughs> i will i will find a new minion <laughs> honestly i would consider it if, if if that's the way i went eaten by a tiger i would consider it an honor yeah, I would too. I would, I would literally dine out on that. That that would be perfect. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't dine out because you'd be dead. But <laughs> <laughs> but it, it but it oh, is no, what, no, what I mean is the tiger would dine out on that. It would be um, it would be a moment. You, you would be a conservation hero, Josh. You'd be feeding, you know, you know those those WWF um, adverts. You know, for five pounds you can support a tiger. Well, with your body, Josh, you can support the entire tiger population. This is what I'm, is what I'm seeing the slogan being. But you know, yeah, the, the jungle's a great environment, and so, and so so are the mountains. And you've had some you've had some pretty cool stories, uh, and also some pretty stupid clients. And not naming names, can you tell us about some of the things as an expedition doctor that you've experienced? Uh, you know, your stories of Kilimanjaro still reign true. I think when I talk to people about what it's like. I could do that just by telling them stories about you, Luke. But uh, <laughs> no, I was going to suggest, we don't need yeah, to do that. Let's just, hold on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, most we'll of come my, back to that. Most of my how not to do it stories, absolutely. Most of my how not to do it stories involve you. Um, no, I mean, in general, and and this is a generalization, but it it is generally true. People that like the outdoors, people that go outdoors, people that like walking, trekking, hiking, adventuring. Uh, and the people that we take on these expeditions, no matter what it is, if it's adventure travel, humanitarian stuff, if it's a research crew or whatever it is, they're good people. They're, they're the kind of people that you, you're you going to, you know, if you're walking around in the countryside and they say hi to you and they're nice. So generally, uh, we don't have too many, like I say, 99% of people are absolutely lovely uh, and capable, relatively capable to be doing these things. But you, But I think you always have one. There's always one person, every single, I don't think I've ever done an expedition where there wasn't one uh, that just uh, lets the team down, not usually in their um, attitude, but usually in their ability. Uh, uh, so I don't know, but I've been the expedition medic and people have come up to me super, super uh, worried and I think thought they were unable to continue and then have shown me a mosquito bite. Um, I've had other people uh, that are completely 
mentally, uh, physically, completely physically capable to, to walk this two weeks uphill, you know, up, up a mountain, up a valley to, to wherever you're going. But uh, mentally, they don't feel like they're capable. And every step of it is, uh, it seems like a, a huge thing for them to be doing, even though there are other people that are far less fit that are up front. Um, and you, you end up standing at the back being their motivation. A lot of it is actually just being someone's motivation uh, or distracting them. Um, yeah, getting getting them to the top and then also making them feel like they've, they've enjoyed it and they've done it and it wasn't horrible. And that's that type two fun kind of thing. Everyone looks back at it and says, oh, wasn't that amazing? Um, but actually, whilst they're doing it, they might not love it. Um, so are you the, the good cop, Josh? I'm always, yeah, you have to be. You have to be motivational. You can't be, if it's, if you're in a dangerous situation, so if you've got someone that's um, being a liability and at that moment you're in a dangerous situation, you're, I don't know, you're doing a river crossing and it starts to, you know, it, it starts to, the rain from two days ago starts to fly down the mountain and it starts to be, at that point, you hurry people up, you sort them out. But 99% of the time you're being the good cop. Uh, and the other bit about expedition medicine is that you're always in a leadership role. You're always the leader as well as the medic. You're never just following along, waiting for someone to fall over. You're always in like both of those things. And people want to go on the expedition, so they will lie. They will tell you, no, I've got absolutely no medical problems. No, I don't need any refrigerated medications. No, I don't, uh, I don't have this, I don't have that. And I've had, you know, I was walking down from a mountain uh, from Kilimanjaro one time um, to hear one of the, the people that was just summited say, oh, it's amazing that I've managed to do this because I'm only a few months out of my liver transplant. And I was just thinking, oh, yeah, <laughs> that definitely was not declared on the medical form. Well, it's like we had, um, I've just finished off some diver training and my instructor was telling me that there was a, an incident where a diver's even gone and got a medical, you know, the, you know, the standard sort of pro forma of questions. And they went diving and he started to sink and no one could understand why. And they got back up to the surface. He's like, oh, yeah, I've only got one lung. They'd taken the other lung out. Um, <laughs> he, didn't think, he didn't think to mention that to anybody because his, his lung worked. It worked. Uh, and it wasn't on the form. Oh, uh, but, yeah, you, you miss things, wow. don't you? You miss things and it, it can happen. Oh God, that's not the sort of uh, that's not the sort of thing that you want to have happen. But there's also like non-medical issues that happen, aren't there, Josh? You know, like uh, from a logistics point of view, you know, you're responsible for that group, even if they break their kit, lose their kit, um, and so are the porters as well. And I, you know, it's it's a hard situation to be in. Everyone, team leader, medic, porters, sherpas, what you know, guides, whatever you've got, as supporting that expedition. Um, yeah. And that's about building some reserve into it, isn't it? So, you know, um, we were on an expedition and someone's uh, sleeping mat blew away, disappeared, didn't have it. So we had to just kind of, all, you're a team. When you're out there, when you're in a, a dangerous situation, and like Matt says, it, they are dangerous situations. They are, isn't it? It's, it? You can't get away from that. You're a team and everyone needs to pull together and pull their own weight and you're going to, you're going to share resources as much as you possibly can. But um, I think we should talk something about the future because we've talked about how UE started. Um, we should talk about, you know, what we should do next. 
Uh, and that's the thing, I think that's one of the things that Unique Expeditions, you know, it, it tails in quite nicely, is you go and do this, you know, whatever course it is you want to do, and then where do you go from there? And I think that's what's next for you, if I'm not wrong, is, is bridging that gap between, cool, you've done the course, yeah, you're a junior doctor or you're a paramedic or a nurse. Now, how do you develop those skills? Hey, you got to go off and just do expeditions, which is what I'm trying to get my teeth into as much as I can and, and just get experience. But also there's there's bridging, there's more learning to be done. So why don't you talk us through uh, where you guys see that going? Yeah, I mean, really, the, the core basics of, of UE have become those fundamentals. We've got the Wales course and the, the Cairngorms course, which are now giving the, the two baselines of, of expedition medicine. Um, and they really do feed into the, the overseas expeditions um, and defining where those overseas expeditions fit in and defining really the purpose of those expeditions has also now kind of been completed. We've, we've worked through that process over the last, well, you know, in locations, 15, 16 years, um, and over the last five with the UE building those together. Um, so now we're just looking for the, the more in-depth push. We're looking to bring our product into the masses to expand its, its breadth. Um, I feel that UE's kind of had this, student doctor tag on it which wasn't really that true because it's it's paramedicine it's it's nurses it's anybody within the healthcare sector that wants to get out um and and take work in an amazing environment take that every day to someone else's only ever seen on tv because you can really do that you know and the, the industry of, of expedition travel and research um the inclusive expeditions is vast and there's a huge calling for people to get out there and, and take that kind of day-to-day going into hospital, working in A&E, take it somewhere else and give yourself some incredible experience, see the world's most insane places. Um, and that's really where our push is now, is expanding UE so that it is more visible to people, so we, more people get to benefit and see that you know there is a, there is a life outside of, uh, outside of the hospital um, yeah. and it's thriving. It really is thriving. I've had people come on uh, on the courses that we've that I've helped out on, and there've also been non medics there as well. And it is, it is worth saying that if you're an expedition leader or if you want to be an expedition leader, you need to, yeah, you know, like Josh was saying, you know, the medics help out in the leading. The leaders will need to help out if there's a medical situation. And I think it's so much more than what you guys teach. It's not just the medicine. It's all the other planning that you have to deal with in incident management or, you know, uh, evacuations or, or team management as a whole. Um, and there are lots of people that would benefit from that training. Yeah, we do get, we actually get a lot of mountain leaders um, because apparently for the mountain leader certification, you need to have um, uh a wilderness first aid certificate which if you come on the wales one wilderness first responder level three you get that so we get loads of those guys coming out to do that as part of their basically so that they can qualify for their mountain leader um, and you learn so much from those guys you learn things we've had pas and pa student physicians associates so they're not doctors not nurses not paramedics um coming out uh military personnel so military medics um, who are not, they are not doctors, not nurses, they're a, a soldier who has some medical training, uh, learn so many like things. I mean, the experiences that those guys go through, I mean, particularly with trauma um, and real, you know, battlefield trauma. Um, 
it's not just we were talking about this the other day the the kind of tribe the community around UE at the moment is just that's the most valuable bit because we're just it's just awesome to be around a whole load of people that think the same way that you do um and it's just sat around the campfire hearing all their adventurous stories and soaking up all of their knowledge and experience that's that's the best bit certainly about the uk courses yeah i mean come on we have the coolest whatsapp group chat i mean that is true we just have (laughs) random pictures that turn up from you know the middle of nowhere as Stuart has just found something random in a market in you know wherever he is in southeast asia or we've got clara posting from mongolia we've just got people from everywhere it's it's so incredible to be surrounded by a, a, such a like an inspirationally cool group of people um it, it, it really is and and that's everybody everybody we meet is like this and it's it's just such a nice kind of environment it's people getting out there and getting it done and people are as josh kind of touched on a little bit more connected with the jungle you are a little bit more at one and I think people are just, you know, people who spend a lot of time out in nature doing cool stuff. They're a really nice group of people to hang around with. I think the nature does it to them as well. I think if you, I genuinely, I genuinely think if you put not so nice people out where there is no phone reception, so they can't be looking at their phone, they're not connected. And, you know, they're under the stars, they're under the sky and they're or in the forest. I think the nature influences people to be nicer kind of people as well as the other way around as well as it obviously being a self-selected group of the kind of people that want to go and do that yeah there's a benefit to it there's a mental i mean there's i mean there's literally a proven benefit to being outdoors uh in terms of your mental health general health you know length of your life all of these things and it's it's symbiotic isn't it you know we also got it we we try and do our best to take care of, of the environments that we're in i know Matt, is it on the Langkawi trip that you guys do a massive rubbish pickup uh, off the beach? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we do. Uh, I mean, there's just an insane amount of plastic that washes up in Southeast Asia. Um, it's it's horrifying. Um, so yeah, every every year we um, we go to to an island um, and we arrive there about five five six days before the clients come. Uh, we pick up a couple of locals, um, and it's sponsored by a a local um, dive company, Lankawi Scuba Club. Um, and they brings out in the boat, so they cover the fuel. Um, and we just cover the entire beach. We just go the whole way. And we are taking out maybe two or three boatfuls of plastic in, in bin bags that we're now having sent to recycling centers um, on the mainland. But it is, it's it's pretty wild. So you've got to do your bit. Um, you really have. You've got to kind of, we, we always run by the leave no trace seeing with all of our expeditions um and training courses we always try to put something back um because that's that's really important um it's it's uh, it's got to be there for us in the future you know we have to protect the wild places and that's going to be a theme i think in this in this series as well it hits you when you see that kind of stuff because we do go to some really remote places where other people don't go um, and that beach in Langkawi, that I mean, we go to various ones, but they any place where humans are um, actually is usually cleaner because they will the, the humans will clean it up to make it all lovely so the tourists can come to the beach and everyone wants to be there. But you go to an uninhabited island. And I was, I mean, the first time I went, I was so shocked. And it's not, at the, it's not just at the shoreline, there's a little bit of plastic or there's a few plastic bottles when there's a storm and it washes it up higher there 
so but just above the normal uh, shoreline there are just insane amounts you know meters upon meters of flip-flops plastic bottles um what else do we see lighters um plastic bags a lot of, this is the thing medical equipment you see medical yeah. uh, bloods bottles and that's and you see stuff that's got mns that came from the uk and you're in the middle of asia um that's what plastic washing up on the shore there's just so much other things uh, one other time that really sticks in my mind where we went somewhere super super remote and we saw the impact of humanity on the world was matt i don't know if you remember a trip we did probably five or six years ago in borneo um and we were right in coming up well, to the where border. i took you to the border yeah exactly i do remember so I, we, I used to take people there for that very reason because because yeah. i it's the same happened to me Stuart took me there um a long long time ago and and that moment really lived with me because I can paint the picture. Um, you're you're in at the time primary triple canopy rainforest, ancient, the oldest rainforest that's, that's ever existed, um, with you know these monstrous, huge trees around you that you know, you could have ten people linked hand to hand and you wouldn't get around. And as you you kind of come up this incline um, and you hit the top of this ridge, and you literally break out into into daylight. Uh, and at that moment, you've just hit the land border between Brunei and Malaysian Sarawak. And you're looking out over this kind of huey, logged, brown stain on the land. And you can't see more than a meter behind you because of the jungle. And it's just an epic kind of picture to paint. Because it really, it's just it's just an end. It's like a sheer stop to the oldest rainforest in the world, and the start of this ridiculous, yeah, logged mess with palm oil plantations popping up in their perfect regimented rows. Uh, it's a despicable image. It really is. Yeah, the year the year I went there, the there were quite literally the bulldozers were in the field. Um, and it's enough to bring tears to your eyes. So, I mean, that kind of thing changes you for sure. So, for and it's such like I I sort of just got lost in the imagery there. You know, the sort of impenetrable green wall of canopy, um, and it, it is you know it's a shocking thing you know realization that this is what we're doing to our world. What is it that you think? we as expedition medics can really do or expedition leaders can really do to advocate for you know sustainability you know within our role i i think one of the the biggest things for me is actually get people outside because once you see this stuff outside in places that it's not supposed to be it really does do something you want to protect those places i think when people lose a connection with what's actually happening outside of their concrete kind of jungle that they live inside you you you're completely unaware of the impact it's having because you you're not aware of the beauty of the nature that surrounds you um and i th i think that kind of hits home a little bit more than just trying to tell people to use less plastic bags because it just seems like this monotonous kind of shout you know i think we as our role should be to encourage people to be outside 
absolutely. What about you, Josh? And, and there, there is a bit of an issue, though, in what we do in adventure travel. Uh, in in the uh, the aviation industry gets a really bad rep, and it does. And the truth is that we're going places on planes. Um, so you say, well, why are you doing that? Um, and I think my argument is that I think it was Attenborough that said it. People won't protect something they have, they don't know, they haven't seen, they won't love. I've massively, you know, paraphrased that, but it's true. The the decisions people are making decisions that ruin the world, not when they're um, taking plane flights around the world. They're taking they're making the decisions where they're sat at home and they order something online, or when they buy something in a, a, a re they use multiple reusable things. Um, you know, it, it's the decisions you're making in your day to day life that are affecting the world. And you won't change those decisions unless you go and see the, see the world. You go get out there and you see what's happening and you see the impact your decisions are, have, are making on the rest of the world miles, thousands and thousands of miles away from where you made that decision. So uh, it, it's, it is a dilemma that, you know, you've got to get on a plane to go and real and, and make these realizations but then at the same time getting on that plane potentially is contributing to the negative negative impact that humankind are having on the world uh, i that's how i weigh it up in my mind i don't think there's any good solution until the aviation industry becomes completely carbon neutral um and maybe that will maybe that's in the pipeline i don't know it will it, it will come it, it, it's it's one of those things it doesn't happen overnight you can't expect an industry which, you know, I was looking at, at Heathrow Airport. I think they do something like 1,600 flights a day. You can't expect an industry that big to suddenly swap its hands overnight. But it definitely needs to do more. You know, we, we can't say 10 years, it will be fine. You know, things, changes can be made today, which aren't being made. But uh, carbon neutrality is definitely something. And, and hopefully going carbon negative uh would be would be even better you know that they're putting more back into the earth than what they're taking out would be the would be the goal interestingly we used to have for all of our expeditions a um a link so when you when you uh sign up you could uh click on it and it would offset your carbon and people didn't like it people didn't choose it um uh, and i think a lot of it is mistrust people just didn't trust that that clicking that thing and paying that extra bit of money to off offset your carbon footprint for going to uh, the, the jungle in Borneo. They didn't trust that it was actually having the effects that it was supposed to be. So I think trust around that whole industry and greenwashing and everything else is a big problem because yeah, we, we just didn't see it um, it working. And, may, and maybe it's something that can be revisited and, you know, and building that trust and explaining where those because there are there are so many greenwashing schemes but when so josh for, for those of you that don't know the the man the myth the legend has been more legend recently because he's been working so hard in a and e but josh when are we next going to see you out in the expedition world when are you going to come join us in the wild again oh, i cannot wait yeah no i've had a bit of uh unfortunately part of being uh, a doctor is that you occasionally have to go to hospital and work um yeah so i've been in a bit of a spell uh, and I haven't, I haven't left. Well, it's not true. I haven't, le I have left the country, but I've barely left the country in the last uh, six months. So I cannot wait. The next one is Wales, and it sounds pathetic, but I cannot wait to be, um, you know, smelling of wood smoke uh, for the whole week, running around in the hills, um, doing navigation and radio communications and medical scenarios with a whole load of cool people I've just met. 
and a whole load of awesome instructors that I know really, really well. So yeah, that's the next thing I'm looking forward to. Just the hills in Wales. And then you're gonna come join me in Morocco, Perfect. aren't you? You're gonna. We're all going to Morocco, all three we of are. us now, which is which is gonna be amazing. We're gonna we gotta try and get Matt up the uh, up the mountain though. That that's my goal. If Matt yeah, that's, comes that's up, that's not a car. mountain, man. No, it's um. Yeah, I can do some admin those days. But, um. you, you know, we'll make a bet. We'll make. Here's the deal, okay? If the podcast becomes a success. You have to come up the mountain so we can record an episode at the summit. That's that's the deal. You got to be there, otherwise. Be a promise. <laughs> that's a promise. I, I think we should add, right. I'll, I'll we should, we should add oh. we should add one little bit to that. Is Matt has the promise to get to the summit to record a podcast, and at that point he can retract his initial statement, which is that I'm posh enough for class, which is absolutely untrue. <laughs> Well, uh, I think we've got we've got it on recording now. Matt has agreed. I've got that. I'm keeping it. You're coming. You're all coming to Morocco. Um, um, well, hold on a minute. We we never we never actually set the scale of success. So um, maybe we should just quickly level out. What are we classing as successful with the podcast? As soon as it's published, yeah. that that counts. <laughs> <laughs> the the one listener that has got through this first episode. Just so you know, there's about another six episodes we've already recorded that are going to getting ready to be published uh, so there's a lot more to come from season one uh and a lot of exciting stories to tell but thank you josh for joining matt and i on the podcast it's great to to have you with us and to kick the series off we've got a lot of exciting stories to come and josh you're gonna have to come back because there's a lot more we can talk about guys thank you ever so much for joining us on another medicine on the frontier a unique expeditions podcast what an amazing one it was really looking forward to the next one luke thanks as always buddy my pleasure matt i'm just so excited we finally got this series off the ground and we've got such an exciting lineup of guests to come on the show in series one for those of you that want to follow along with josh and unique expeditions josh is at expert medic on instagram and unique expeditions is at unique expeditions and i'll put that all in the description for you to follow along with their adventures for episode one then, our next episode, we have got Dr. Rebecca Boys coming on the podcast, having just returned from Antarctica with the British Antarctic Survey. She was down there for a rather long time and she's got a load of stories to tell us. So make sure you tune in for that episode and every other episode in the series. So follow along as we explore medicine on the frontier. Mm-hmm.